Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbow, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Max Russo, class of 2020. Today, we talk to Fidel Huerta, class of 2010, researcher at Harvard's Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Fidel will share with us how his spirit of inquiry and love of the lab propelled him to the cutting edge of cancer research at Harvard. <laughs> Joining us today is Fidel Huerta from the class of 2010. Fidel, what do you do? Hi, um, Mr. Turbound. It's been a long time. Um, I'm currently a research scientist here in the great city of Boston, Massachusetts. Fidel, what type of research do you do? Um, I've always been, I guess, traditionally a biochemist by training and by resume, I guess. But I've currently kind of switched from more of the more of the theoretical aspects of that field and into more of a medical clinical application. And that's what I've kind of been doing here. I've been kind of focusing more on, on the cancer research that we're doing here at Dana-Farber Institute, where I'm working at now. So... Fidel, I wonder if you could maybe you know rewind a little bit. Sure. When did you know that you kind of had a aptitude or an interest in chemistry? Like what what was the kind of the initial draw or pull to chemistry for you? Um, I wouldn't I actually. I, as weird as this is my time, I actually wouldn't start with chemistry. I think I've always I've always liked chemistry, and I remember being in high school. Like I really like physics, math, and chemistry. But it wasn't really until I took biology that kind of um, really opened my mind. Um, you know, you, you learn about how like the cells and how they actually produce the energy. And that, that to me was just so revelatory because it was just like, oh, this is just a basic physics machine. It's just, you know, you absorb some energy and some energy gets produced. And that's how we're able to live and make all these molecules inside the body. And I think that's when the first time when I started putting together everything we learned in all the classes, um, you know, like, you know, all this oxidative phosphorylation you learn if you took like AP bio, like all that stuff was just so amazing to me because it, it just seems so basic from so many fields. And you were just able to apply everything you learn in physics and math and chemistry into like an, an actual application setting. And I think that's when I really started really getting interested in how more we can understand something, how much more fundamental we could get in understanding these, you know, these things we kind of take for granted, these basic biological daily processes that are happening all around us. You then, you did your undergrad at Loyola with a, uh, with a biochemistry, it was, what was your major? Do you remember what were some of the, the fun classes that you took there that kind of, kind of cemented your love uh, of biochemistry? Yeah. Um, okay. I, I think just like in high school, but like, I think this is also true in college. Like a lot, you know, it takes a while to get to a good class. That's what I would say. Um, you know, you learn all these fundamental classes and they don't really mean anything. It's not until you really get into like junior, senior year. When I, when I got to senior year, I took this class called medicinal chemistry. And it's just about basic drug design and how everything applies to each other. And I think that was the first time when I'm like, oh, now I can apply everything I learned in every class I've ever taken and actually, you know, put it to use. There was that, that was, that's one example. And my second example is when I took physical chemistry because I had this great professor and he essentially said, you know, physical chemistry is just about theory and nobody wins awards from being a physical chemist. All the awards are the people who are curing cancer or doing all these other things, but we're the ones that are figuring out all these fundamental things and building all these fundamental instruments that then 
everyone else uses and it advances everyone's work. So there is something about chemistry that's more fundamental than, for instance, just doing like cancer research. You know, there's something really fundamental where if you're a good enough chemist and if you really understand things, you can apply it to any situation and hopefully some good science will come out of that. If that's clear. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that, I mean, I love there's the, what I love about chemistry is it, it just seems like it's such a fundamental metaphor in so many aspects of life when you extrapolate it out. And that's the, as an English teacher, like I, I appreciate like those, those connections that are always seem to be there. And, and that is about the extent of what I can bring to the conversation about that. <laughs> so when, so uh, do you remember like when you were in, in Chicago, what were some of the, uh, did you, did you have any like internships while you were uh, in undergrad? Um, I didn't, not traditional internships per se. I did a lot of volunteering. Um, and I also got, got the opportunity to start doing undergraduate research, um, which is kind of where everyone starts. Um, and uh, yeah, I was thankful to find a lab that I really liked. Um, it was, strangely as this sounds, it was a plant biochemistry lab. So we're doing like protein engineering, um, and design, but I think one, one, Everything I really liked that, but it wasn't until like I, I got to work my full summer and actually got paid to be there over the summer where I was there was no classes, no other pressures. And I just got to work in the lab for 40 hours a week. And once you actually get to do that and I got to like get all that hands on experience and then I'm like, oh, I really like this. And then you, all the results were just mine. They weren't just like, oh, I came in once a week and then a grad student helped me do everything else. And it was just like I was able to kind of like develop my own ideas and actually understand what I was doing. And I think, yeah, that, that was a good experience. So summer research was definitely one of the better experiences I had during undergrad. That sounds like an incredible opportunity. Like, so they, they really gave you some autonomy to, to, to find yourself in the laboratory. Is that unique for, uh, in that circumstance or do a lot of, um, laboratories allow, um, the kind of summer interns to have that level of, of freedom and autonomy to kind of, uh, kind of find, figure things out. Well, luckily that this was a lab that I already was already working in beforehand. So I had like, you know, a couple months under my belt before I went into the summer, I think traditionally, no, I think you would start at the summer and only by the end of the summer, would you develop those skills to say, hey, you know what? You can go up to your boss and say, I think I'm ready to have my own kind of like mini project or small project. Um, yeah, but I was thankful that I got to train in the lab and then spend the next two years of my undergrad career, you know, throughout the semesters still working in the same lab. So that was really nice. Oh, wow. So you started off then maybe like, so that would have been like between freshman and sophomore year, you started at that lab and you were able to return to the same place? Yeah. So like, yeah, it was sophomore year when I started. Right, wow. More or less. So. Oh, what a what a great opportunity! Okay, so you graduated from from Loyola. What was the next uh, stop for you after that? So at the time, just like many kids, I had no idea what I was doing with my life, uh, um, which is quite common. Uh, I, when I started undergrad, I was actually pre med, like a lot of kids are. But then I kind of gave all that up once I actually started doing and working in the lab because I'm like, oh no, this is what I really like doing. Um, so I wasn't still sure what I wanted to do. I was doing more rudimentary, fundamental sort of, you know, biophysics, biochemical engineering stuff in undergrad. So then I'm like, maybe I should go back to the medical field. So I decided to spend, I was looking for jobs in the city and I got a job uh, being a research associate and lab manager at the University of Chicago Medical School, uh, University of Illinois in Chicago, so UIC Med School. 
um, working in a research lab there. And that was a great experience. I think that's definitely that that was because that was just me being able to work full time in a place. And I, that's, I think, where I really learned a lot of my skill set. What were the type of skills that get sharpened uh, at that stage of your your training? Well, it's kind of it's, it's interesting because, you know, I actually didn't do anything that I was doing in undergrad. I, I learned all these fundamental things um, that I've never actually done before, which is kind of nice, like a lot of molecular uh, biology, which is super important. Molecular biology is one of those things that everyone kind of knows and not that many people are good at it. But if you just have to have some, if you have some experience, that's all you really need to get your foot in the door. You know, I got to do a lot of, um, you know, human cell culturing, which is a very basic skill that's, you, you know, ubiquitously needed in whichever field or wherever you are, especially if you're working in the medical field. And I got to do a little mouse work as well, which was, you know, always an interesting kind of experience. So just to kind of help me imagine what this looks like, when you say you're doing like a, a, a microbio, like when you're a microbiology with right. that, what's the tool that you use for that? Is it something that is then like rendered in 3D on a computer or are you actually observing it in a microscope? Like what, what does that look like and, and how are you making the inferences based upon the data when when you're um, when you're kind of pouring over uh, what you see sure so in keeping with that example um, so like ideally when you're studying let's say a disease state um, you, you want to be able to develop all these different mutants and lines for that so molecular biology becomes really important to being able to introduce any mutations or delete mutations um, modify the genetic code and in, in, in the way that you need necessary to be able to then construct a cell line. So for instance, you, you make you make a certain clone, you're like, okay, this is the disease relevant mutant that we want to study. You know, you have to be able, you have to engineer this genetic code and then being able to put it into the cells. Once it's in the cells, then you could treat it with our hormones or whatever else we were treating it, isolate the cell, and then just look at the, and visually be able to isolate the protein that's even, that's either being overexpressed or underexpressed in our disease model. So if you see that if you see something that's if you have a mutant, you're like, oh, well, if we treated with this kind of drug, we would expect our target to not be there anymore, for instance. So then, you know, you go through this whole process, you develop cells, you're able to then run your experiment, stimulate them with your drug or hormone of interest, isolate that. And then, you know, you're, you just you're able to pull out the protein and then kind of visualize it. And that's kind of how. That's a lot of like medical research, kind of that marker. Like those are the biomarkers when people are saying like, oh, you have a lot of this in your system or a lot of that in your system or you're missing this or when you're introducing this drug. So that's kind of the kind of the flow chart of how it worked when I was at UIC. Wow, that, that was a, a perfect, perfect visualization. I like that makes a lot of sense. That was it's great. So you so after UIC, you go off to University of Indiana, or is it IU? I, I, I want to make sure I get my big. 10 I guess it's IU. IU. Okay. I would just say IU because <laughs> I know if I don't say the Ohio State, I might get in trouble. So, oh. uh, oh, I, I, I met a lot of people like that. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so uh, what brought you there? Um, you know, again, like I, I was at UIC. Um, long story short, um, that lab was moving. They were going to move to Georgia to whatever institute there is in Georgia. And they gave me a choice, like, do I want to stay? Do I want to leave? And I, at the time, I wasn't really sure. Um, and, you know, 
I had a friend and she's like, you know, I just applied to the school. They might have a few labs here you're interested in. Um, I use known for a lot of like analytical chemistry labs that also do like biological application. And at the time at UIC, I'm like, I like this medical stuff. It's cool, but it's just not for me. Um, and the same thing before I work with now, like people are like, oh, how's it is? How, how is it working with cancer, doing cancer research? And I'm like, that's not really my biggest focus. Um, that just happens to be the field we work in. But I really wanted to go more into the fundamental like analy analytical chemistry or just like more basic rudimentary work. So I think that's what kind of drew me there. There was a few labs and I also applied to other schools and I was looking at other programs as well. But there was a few labs there that really kind of struck my interest and they had a really good like analytical and biochemical program as well. And the biggest thing with these pro nowadays, because back in the day, I mean, even like 20 years ago when people are like, oh, he's a chemist, like they don't even talk to biologists kind of thing. But nowadays things have really changed. Like everything's just become more interdisciplinary and people realize that if you want to be successful, you kind of have to do a little bit of everything and know a little bit of everything and kind of be, ex be able to talk and be exposed to all these different fields. So I think, yeah, that, that's I think that was the, the main reason I decided to kind of move forward with my career and at least try to go to grad school for a bit while I still kind of figure things out, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But um. so what so what was your area of uh, distinct focus at IU? Um, so there I switched field, fields completely. Before I was looking at um, like comp copper transporters and like all these heart disease models at UIC. And I decided to be like, nope, I'm going to turn that completely on its head. And I went into looking into intrinsic dynamics within proteins. So just like internalized motion in proteins and how that actually affects the proper date signal. And that's just a long, fancy way of saying when something binds my protein of interest, like a drug molecule, or in my case, it was metal. So I was looking at anything that had to do with transition metals, which is like your zinc, copper, manganese, magnesium um, metals in, in your cell. What I was really more interested in is like, okay, well, when that happens, how is that signal propagated through the protein to some other site that's way far away that somehow allows it to do whatever it's supposed to do? Um, so that th that's kind of my shift of focus. So that's very more thermodynamics, physical chemistry heavy, and and I really and I really enjoyed it. Um, it was definitely a more challenging and definitely a big difference than before. Before I was working with postdocs that were like microbiologists, and now the postdoc I was working with was a physical chemist who did her like PhD in mathematics. So it was just a different thing. I was using a lot of different cool instruments for the first time. I would say. Um, What's the what's the learning curve on like getting access to the new instruments? Uh, well, I think for the most part, it's not that difficult. I think it's more of you have to understand how you're actually setting up the experiments and all the nuances. Um, while I was there, though, so there's like these big three like structural techniques. So if you want to get a, you know, a lot of times you want to get a, you know, a visual picture of your protein you're working with or molecule. And there's like these big three techniques that are very, very learning curve heavy. And the one I was mainly using was NMR, which is nuclear magnetic resonance, which is ex which is essentially just an MRI machine, but built just to be able to look at like isotopically labeled proteins in solution. So then you're able to kind of visualize these proteins in solution as they're floating around. The problem with this is that it involves these really like intense, like, like, what, what, what my professor called all these magic tricks, because no one really knows what happens. It's just really advanced 
um, quant mechanics and statistical mechanics. So there was a lot of math that I had not been privy to beforehand <laughs> um, um, that I had to kind of learn. My physics wasn't great, so obviously I had to learn that. Um, Hey, well, by and, the way, just learn quantum uh, physics uh, while you while you're at it. So, you know, <laughs> while that sounds impressive, <laughs> well, it sounds impressive. It was just like, oh, if I would have just paid more attention at multivariable calculus, this all of this would be fine. Um, but there's that, and also there's a lot. There's a big computational component too, um, which is kind of which is a thing I also was not exposed to before. And I think now people's mentality of that has been changing, but. I always had to learn how to code and like do basic like Python and R scripting to be able to use this machine because that's kind of how you analyze all the data and you have to understand the formulas to be able to learn how to process it because every experiment is slightly different. So while you don't have to be an expert theoretical physicist, you still have to have some loose idea of what's happening. <laughs> So even then, even then, you had to learn yourself. You had to learn some basic coding, like Python. Is that something that was? And just to use the metaphor again, is the learning curve on even that language quick to to pick up, or is there? Is there? I've always heard about coding that it almost does appear like a language. There's a logic uh, behind it that once you get it, it kind of snaps together. Um, was that? Was it? long before you could kind of be able to maneuver in using uh, Python? I mean, I still don't think I can move and maneuver throughout it that well. Um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's very coding in general, because now here I've been trying to learn MATLAB and R script, which is a whole different thing. Even, um, but it's really challenging because you can't just learn it through a book. There's courses that you kind of get basics from it. But unfortunately, like every time anyone who asks me like, oh, I kind of want to learn how to code for fun, it's really challenging if you don't have like an actual reason why you're doing it. So you need the experience and then you need to actually be able to apply it at the same time. So you learn like those something basic, but then you have to apply it like 20 times in that day for you to even make sense of why you're doing this command. So yeah. I, I was kind of just you kind of I was kind of just forced to do that, to be able to look at my data. <laughs> <laughs> and because of, but that, that's kind of the experience everyone needs to go through that. And that's one of the, those things that's like, even the postdocs, like everyone just has to suffer through it for the next couple of weeks and you're going to hate your life, but eventually it'll just kind of become easier to do it. So, um, well, you, you also won some awards based upon some of your research. I was wondering if you kind of talk about how you were kind of drawn to that particular topic that where you earned uh, those uh, awards. Uh, if you can comment on that. Um, sure. Um, well, I think the only <laughs> one of the biggest things was we got the pr this project to kind of work. Um, the results started making sense. And really it was when I started going to conferences where and I started kind of sh trying to sell the story to people because it's kind of a really out there story. Um, it's a, it's a little left field, and if you're not too, you know, familiar with the field, you're already kind of confused of what it means. So I think once we started actually getting some good data, and we got a paper out that kind of like summarized the whole story, I think that's when I, that's when things I think really started picking up, and that's when the story I think became a lot better, and really helped me obviously sell the story, which I hope eventually will lead to some awards. Yes. The, you know, you, you kind of mentioned all these different breakthroughs, and I was wondering if you could kind of reflect upon like a eureka moment where you were in the lab and maybe you were 
just so like psychologists call this the flow, right? Where you are Mm. so intrinsically motivated by the task that you're doing. It doesn't feel like work and you love the challenge and the, uh, the puzzle of the work that which you're, you're working on. Do you remember like what was either your favorite example of that or your most recent example where you had this like breakthrough as you were (laughs) working on this really hard uh, thing in the lab, but it didn't feel like work. You knew that you were going to get there, but it just took uh, a particular route to, to get there. Do you remember what uh, one of those stories was? Um, you know, I, this is a great question because I actually don't. I, I, I'm just going to talk about like, you know, just this morning I shared some data. Um, we've been trying to get this, you know, there's these four mutants, mutants and three of them work great and the other one doesn't work. And if we could just get this one thing to work, it could just change the whole field. But it hasn't been working, but I finally got the other one, one of the other, these other mutants that aren't as important to work. Um, yeah, just of today. And hopefully by the end of this week, we'll be actually, I'll actually get usable results that could actually eventually hopefully be used for further clinical studies or a paper. And I think a lot of my science has just been like, the struggles are the worst part. And then, but once you kind of figure it out, that's the best part. So I don't have a good example. I think no, that's a perfect <laughs> example. What you just said there, I, I love. I love because I, I was wondering, like, how do you? What's the turnaround on results? Like, so a geologist, you know, has to kind of figure things out that happen over maybe millions of years. But a chemist, you know, and, and within chemistry, you're saying that you're waiting on results. Like, typically, how immediate is the data that comes back to you? I mean, and I suppose it matters what the variables and the chemicals are and that maybe the degradation of what it is that you're looking at. If, if indeed that is part of the experiment, um, what's, what's a typical timeline in terms of getting feedback, uh, in the type of research that you do? Well, I, I think moving here to a more clinical setting is the first time I've been forced to do more in vivo work. So more like human cell line work for a lot of these things that I've been working on before it was just models. Now I have to use the human cell lines models. That's honestly the, the longest time, like you're kind of, you know, the cells are your boss and you kind of, until they grow and work, you know, it could be like, I think these lines, I started back in March and I'm only just now getting the results, like the preliminary results to see if it will even work. So that was probably a month and a half of work. Um, Once that gets up and going, you know, I can get results weekly, but if we need something new that needs like a, anytime you want to do something new and not just kind of like screen or optimize and stuff. Yeah, I think it's probably been a month or two away. And that's if everything kind of goes well. <laughs> you know, that that's ideal situations, you know, everything's working well, or your protein purifies well, all these conditions are met. And there's little, little fuss, but a lot of time, most of the most most of the time, we're not like, there's some optimization step that kind of puts you back a week or two. So if, if I were to like, step back a little bit and ask kind of like sure. a, a question about the philosophy of chemistry as you see it. Um, I mean, you've been in this field for quite some time and you are working with incredible tools at these wonderful institutions. You're, you're starting to, you, you must have like a, a big picture concept about like what chemistry means in terms of, and you, I think you mentioned this early that you feel it's really intersects with so many other sciences like the biology and the physics and all that um but i was wondering like if like if you could maybe comment on like how you see like your philosophy of it i mean i i mean i think you put it well like 
it's, as I was saying earlier, I mean, it's just, I just like really being able to understand something really fundamentally and apply it. And um, it's so much different than biology where you can learn a million things and, you know, you're never, you're never really sure about anything. But with chemistry, I think there's some, there's a certainty to it. And it allows you to go up to a biologist and be like, let me tell you, what have you ever thought about this really weird detail that nobody's ever thought about? And, you know, that could change a whole idea. And I think that's kind of like what I really like, more of like the day-to-day -day kind of details that I think that's what chemistry is exciting. Like you can really plan and think something out and you are like 90% sure it's going to work versus yeah. a field like biology. Like, you know, you can think about it a million days, but biology is very difficult. It's very challenging. There's so much more we don't know. So you can't like simulate an idea and hopefully it works. So most of the time you'll get results you've never even seen before. Well, I like I like that that what you said there about how uh, you you might look at things and you keep on picking away at like, well, could it be this? Could it be that? Is that is that something that is like shared by all of your colleagues? Is that something how like it, like is it just a kind of a shared ethos of chemists that have that approach to all of the different kind of um, studies that they 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 confront? Um, well, I mean, I think every every science is at some to at, at least at the part of my career that I'm working with. Every science I'm working with, you know, yeah, I mean, they they are looking at it more in an analytical way. But when you come from a chemistry lab, especially when you're younger, you, there's definitely a really hardcore analytical mode of action to every one of my things. Like people are like, "Why are you being so careful about this?" I'm like, "I don't know. This is you get trained a certain way for reproducibility." And that's just the, like, there's a standard of practice that you definitely learn. As a I was wondering if you have any, like, like an outlook. Are you optimistic about the, the where biochemistry is going to take us in terms of humanity and where <laughs> that might be in 5, 10, 20 years? Like, what, I mean, are, are, should we be excited about, like, what could be unlocked uh, in, in terms of potential uh, coming up? Um. I mean, for humanity, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, as a scientist, I could talk to you about for hours about everything that I think is going to be super cool, um, whether or not it's relevant or not. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, we are here to push out pharmaceuticals and clinical treatments. Um, and that that's a long process. Like, like I'm working in this protein degradation field, which is com a completely new field of how we design drugs. It's just a completely different way that it's been done the last hundred years of how people design drugs. But it's still, you know, even if things look go well, it's still about 20, 20 years away or maybe 10 if we're being really optimistic. If a drug might come out on market, that might change something or something that people are doing here is really going to affect everything else. Um, and, but and, and, and again, like in 10 years, there might be a new technology that emerges like. Like maybe you've heard of like CRISPR, like that was like a big thing 10 years ago that like changed everything, but nobody was really expecting that to happen within the science field. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's those type of things like it's CRISPR or, you know, all the extrapolations of like Moore's law as applied to computational power. Exactly. Like yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's it's uh, it's so neat to see how all these things are, are moving so much more uh, quickly. What's your favorite tool to use in the lab? Um, favorite tool. That's interesting. <laughs> um, I, I, well, something that I really like using is, um, 
we, we set up like these crystal trays. So there's like a crystal tray robot to, to make crystals. So you can like crystallize your protein that you've purified to essentially try to get the structure out from it. And it's just such a fancy machine, you know, but it, it, it works so well. It's just adding these small, small changes of conditions on a 96 well plate where each well has just a slightly different condition. And then there's a robot that's going around taking pictures for like 14 days straight at, at certain hours just trying to see at what point this crystal will actually develop. And then from there, we're able to take those crystals and actually shoot them at Argonne National Laboratories back in Chicago remotely. So it's really cool to be able to like shoot the crystals using like that high beam, like X-ray synchrotron they got over at Argonne. So that, 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 that's a neat, that's that's really neat. It's one of the more fancy That sounds things. incredible. And, and wow. I've been there too. So it's, it's, it's a cool place to visit. Um, how so then? How do you then make the leap to go to Dana Far- Faber? Uh, uh, it is Farber. <laughs> Far- Farber. What I, did I misspelled it? Uh, it's Farber. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I was just looking for a change, and you know, I, I'm still in this. You know, I, I feel like at this point in my career, I should be like, I know exactly where it's going. But you'd be surprised how many people still aren't that aware of where their career is going. They have like a graduate degree and they're just like, well, what do I do now? Kind of thing. Um, I specifically really like where I'm working. So I'm working at the Protein Center of Degradation here at Dana Farber. And what's cool about it is that it's it's like an academic place, but it's also an industry place as well. So there's both sectors of that kind of colliding with each other. And I haven't really talked about the difference between like being in an academic lab versus working for like a big pharmaceutical company. But here it's like they're able to do both of those things at once because they have money from elsewhere and then all the clinics are here so and all the organic chemists are here so what's really cool about here and that's what i really like like you literally organic chemists can literally you know develop a compound on the second floor which i will use and test with all my stuff on the you know on the eighth floor biologists will come do their thing if those results look well and eventually that could lend up in the hands of a patient you know that's right across the street and that that's kind of the flow through that that they have going here which is really cool you kind of see the whole process. It's not like, oh, we have a collaborator in Germany who's going to do this for us. It's like everything's in house, so it's a very unique and, place. Yeah. And what I mean, and just to see that type of um, collaboration must be really uh, special. Uh, with that, how else would you describe? Because when when we see you know Dana Farber, you know this is. Are you on Harvard's campus? Uh, th- well, we're in the medical campus. Yeah, so you're on the Harvard uh, medical medical campus. Yes. What, what would you say it's like to be uh, working at what is one of the most elite medical schools on the planet uh, to be participating in that? Um, th- I mean, this must be an incredible uh, experience. Uh, does that does that ever uh, kind of weigh into like, oh, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm here, or like, are you more like, no, I actually I did the work here, and I, I, I do, do deserve to be here. Like, what's the, uh, what's the, uh, what's the balance uh, of something? Um, like that? I don't feel like I deserve to be here. I feel very dumb, but I mean, people here are very smart. I think the difference is like, a grad student actually, like a Harvard Med School grad student, actually put it really nicely. They're just like, it's ninety, it's ten percent talent and ninety percent environment. That's like their whole saying. It's just like people here are really good and they're really passionate. And I've definitely worked in places where it wasn't like that, where people are just honing it in or, you know, they're just there because it's a job or they want a degree. But people, no one's here putting in so many hours because they don't really care or they're not passionate about what they do. 
And I think that's what's interesting about this place. Also, like every, you know, it's not just like Harvard Med School, like all these other famous institutes are here. There's just such a large volume of science happening in like these four blocks. That's crazy. It you know, you is. Out- I mean, because MIT is probably not far from you, and Boston University has has a pretty good laboratories, as from what I right. I remember so as Boston, well. so like, right, it's all like down the street. Like, I can see it from my window. I'm on the eighth floor right now. Like, you could, I can point it out to you. Like, it's not that. Yeah, far. it's just it's an incredible. Uh, I mean, per capita, per square block of where you are, the the amount of human knowledge and ingenuity is just incredible when you start scaling it uh, in that way. It's just incredible. So what's a typical day like for you? So you wake up in the morning and you head to the lab. Like, what, what, What's it like? Like, what, what time do you arrive and typically what time do you leave? Sure. Um, you know, you know, unfortunately right now with COVID, we've been on these crazy shift schedules um, where not everyone can be here all the time. But, you know, like today, I guess it was a more normal day. I mean, I, I don't know. Usually... The nice thing about still working in academic labs, my schedule is kind of like up to me in a weird way. Um, so, you know, I try to get here by nine um, um, and just try to get all my experiments set up as early as I can. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen all the time. Um, you, know, you know, you come in, you know, you, you make a cup of coffee, set up some experiments, go back. And then a big part of my day is also just data analysis. So whether I want to do that in the afternoon or the next day, you know, that's very high dependent because data analysis also is a very time consuming thing. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, there's my day, I feel like my day is just like in any other regular work day. Um, at least it, at least it feels like to me because everyone else I work with works here as well. Um, but it's nice. Um, I like living back in the city. You know, I get to bike and show up and do great science. And, and there is a lot of meetings, which I'm not used to, you know, this is much different than being at school. I'm on very, on a lot of project meetings. So that's a very time consuming thing I wasn't aware of. And apparently that's what it's like being an adult in the workplace is having multiple meetings throughout your day. So that's been really challenging trying to balance all these meetings and all these people who are expected to have certain results while also doing the experiments, you know, on top of that. So there's been a lot of, there's, there's a few late nights. Um, definitely I come in on the weekends more than less regularly. I mean, I'm not here all day during the weekends, but I'm definitely coming in like two, three hours because, you know, two, three hours could save you so much time. And a lot of experiments are like, oh, you have to start this and, you know, you're doing 16 hour time points or 72 hour time points. So it's not really dependent on you when you're coming in. But that, but even if it's, that sounds crazy to non-science folks, like that's just like a very normal, you know, you know, it comes with the territory and it comes with the job. Like everyone's kind of aware of that kind of work environment that happens. And it's not like, I mean, there's so much setup, breakdown, analysis. It's not like you're just, okay, now I'm just going to sit down and wait for my results. Like, I mean, there's so many other different components uh, to that. Uh, I I can't let you uh, get away with, how does a chemist make their coffee? I think that's what I I really want to know. Do you you have a special uh, uh, approach (laughs) to making the perfect cup of coffee or are you just, you just kind of take it as quick as it, it comes? I take whatever is free around here. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you. I, I was really hoping that you had some like a unique uh, kind of ratio for me to, to to kind of bring back to my buddies. You know, in my last lab, we did tea, I guess, <laughs> but but that's not as exciting as coffee. Um, uh, how do you like living in Boston? Um, it is amazing. It is just super expensive. <laughs> uh, it is very very expensive, and that's coming from Chicago. So. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe if you get to bike, at least you're not, you know, getting caught up in the, uh, the, the, the commute that I heard is also miserable. And it is terrible. Well. Yeah. yeah. That's what I hear. Um, but it's, 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 there's no other place like it in the world. I mean, like there's this area called Kendall square. That's kind of by my MIT. And it's, it has like the most biotech startups in the world or something. Like it's wow. just a really strange, it's just an interesting place. Cause it's kind of a tiny town too. So it's this weird juxtaposition. Yeah, for sure. So I was wondering if Fidel, like what's, what then, where do you see yourself in maybe five, 10 years? Are, are, will you remain uh, at, at do, you, do you plan on remaining uh, at this particular um, institute or, I mean, not, or do you kind of see yourself maybe branching into something else? Um, you know, I, I think for the meantime, I'm going to stay here. I mean, it's definitely a really good place. I've definitely, I think I've learned a lot more here than I have anywhere else. Um, the people I work with are really great. And, but I think moving forward, I think at some point I want to move more into, um, more into more of a leadership role or at least go more into an industry position where it's more about networking and maybe communicating with people versus just, doing the day-to-day science. So th- there's a lot of branches that I can move into that's still within, you know, what I'm doing now. And but, the, you know, the, yeah. found, the institutional and foundational knowledge you have is just incredible of where you'd go from from there. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, you know, I'm still trying to network. Unfortunately, COVID has really put everyone back. Like, everyone had plans of leaving last year and everyone's still here because, you know, COVID really kind of set everyone's plans back, unfortunately. No, for sure. But but it is what it is, and you know, no, right? <laughs> we're still getting a lot of work done, and that's what's more important. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. So, Fidel, you've been so generous with your time today, and I was wondering if you could leave uh, current Wildcats and anyone who's listening to this, what what kind of like tips for uh, for success would you give them? Um. Oh, this is going to sound so lame, <laughs> but uh, it's just like you know, I used to teach undergrads, right? Um, and you know, it was, it was so clear the people there, there's three kinds of like students. There's the people who really tried the people who didn't really try, but then there's the people who really liked what they were doing. And I think even if they didn't get the best grades, cause I, I remember me being like that in high school, like maybe I didn't care as much about that, but I was just really fascinated or interested in things. So the people who really understood really cared about, let's say their philosophy class, they would always just do better. Cause I think they would just generally have this interest in it. So it's just finding about what you really actually like, what you really are actually interested in and just kind of going, you know, just doubling down and putting all your effort into that. Because that's essentially what I did. I kind of threw away everything else in my life and just kind of really focused on like these two things that I really enjoyed. And I think that's that's really helped me a lot. And it still helps me now because you meet people who I'm like, you know, are you really passionate about this? Or are you just kind of doing this because this is where your life lit it up, which is which isn't a bad thing either. But, you know, if you can really find that one thing that you're just like, you know what, I could I could do this for. 120 hours a week for a month, for some time, then I think that's a good start. You know, that's always a good start. And it at least gets you to where you might want to go later in the future. Because I'm still not sure where I want to go. But at least I think I'm on the right path. Wow, that was perfect. That was not that was that was that was absolutely perfect. Wow. Well, Fidel, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, best of luck with and and with everything that you're doing. It's just a, such an insightful uh, interview, and I learned a ton. This is great. Oh, great, great. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening. You can follow We Go Places on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Just search We Go Vox. 
That's Wego, V-O-X, or search on Facebook for Wego Places Podcast.